Hi, I'm Karen from Las Vegas, and I listen to City Sites Podcast. This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com. I was in such deep denial that I once said to my wife, 95% of the women in our church would love to be married to a man like me. She quickly informed me she was in the 5%. I was a pastor. I was in the process of destroying my life and my ministry, and I didn't know it. If God hadn't reached down and rescued me, I wouldn't be doing what I'm now doing. And sometimes I wonder if I'd still be married. If you look at societies, if you look at cultures, if you look at kingdoms in the Word of God, they rise and fall with the people's knowledge and submission to the Word of God. It's just the truth. We live in a changing world that things have been shifting very fast. And what was expected of the pastor, maybe even a decade ago, has changed a lot. This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. I have spent the majority of my life as a clergy person. The reason I chose this profession was because I was interested in helping broken people come to know the Lord. There isn't a greater satisfaction in life than to know you've had a part in helping someone find salvation in Jesus Christ. Yet, in the process of learning and growing and being a minister, there are many speed bumps that can distract, mislead, and even upend a person's clergy experience. Many people think that if you're in the ministry, that your life is more fulfilling than most. And to some degree, that can be true. Today, I want to talk about ministers, their calling, and the issues they face that most people may not be aware of the dangers of being called to minister. Most of us have heard statistics about pastors and ministers are struggling today. In fact, 1,500, 1,700 ministers per week are actually leaving the ministry for a variety of reasons. Some of them are overworked. Some say they're underpaid. They're ill-prepared for today's world. They're struggling with depression, discouragement. Families are negatively affected by the ministry. Pastors feel lonely. 50% of the ministers starting out will not last for five years. And this statistic really sort of opened my eyes. 4,000 new churches start every year, but 7,000 quit. So ministry has taken a different twist and turn, I think, in the last couple of decades, and I don't think we live in a world that's devotionally driven anymore. So I decided to ask a pastor of pastors to come in and talk to us about ministry life, the ministry in general, what's going on in the ministry as it affects the family, the individual, and so forth. So Chas Parker is the general overseer of the International Ministerial Fellowship that is headquartered here in the Twin Cities. Chaz, you oversee about 1,500 ministers nationwide, worldwide, actually. So what do you think is going on with these statistics? Well, when I hear those, I'm always just stunned because you, you realize the depth and breadth of the problem. And looking at some research on my own, there are some hopeful signs, so I don't want to say it's all doom and gloom. 
that those people that are in ministry, at least according to some of Barna's research recently in 2017, seem to be very satisfied. So there is a core group of ministers that are doing very well. But what Barna pointed out is that there is a struggle for resiliency in ministry, a term that we use in circles about what's your capacity to handle the things that happen in life. And you describe many of the things that challenge ministers right up front is the fact that for the general education that pastors have, they have a lower income because of the type of lives they lead. They're under more scrutiny in their neighborhoods or in their communities. And that we live in a changing world, that things have been shifting very fast And what was expected of the pastor maybe even a decade ago has changed a lot. We have the internet now. We have all sorts of places that people can interact with religious education, shall I say, or that they're exposed to preachers and pastors of high quality that they can see. And so you as a local pastor in a local ministry have a lot more competing factors out there for what it is you do and live in. And so at IMF, We've been a fellowship that we've always worked with people who are called to ministry, but we don't represent just church pastors. We have military chaplains, we have civilian chaplains, we have missionaries, and then we have quite a few people that are in unusual ministries, such as myself. I was for 30 years. I worked with homeless and at-risk populations and social service ministries. But even as I say that, for my ministry to exist, I had to interact with pastors all the time in churches because they supported our work. And so I was able to see up close in five different states now that I've lived in and done ministry, different circumstances that impact pastors. So the things that you've described, I have witnessed with some of those colleagues that I've worked with in those different places. Well, that ill-preparedness is always one that has gotten to me because even denominations, Chaz, are opinionated. They have doctrines. That's their opinion. This is my opinion on what the Scripture teaches. Well, if, for example, a a ministry, a denomination, a church has the doctrine that women cannot have and serve in leadership position, like in a senior pastorate or certain things like that, that smacks in the face of culture. And so just that alone, I think, creates a lot of pressure for the pastor to try to maintain the traditions of even his or her denomination under these circumstances, right? Well, let's walk back a little bit, too about denominations. For those who are from a non-denominational background or not affiliated with the denomination, perhaps they see denominations as these evil organizations that have finally crumbled to an end, like the Soviet Union. But let me give another perspective on that, not as someone who's been intimately involved in denominations, but let me just say how things were at one time. When I went to seminary back in the days of the 80s, which some will remember, the idea was when you picked a seminary, you picked a denomination because the seminaries and the denominations were very closely aligned. And so the idea was that seminary prepared you to go to work in that denomination. And since at the time I wasn't affiliated with the denomination and I went to a seminary that worked with multiple denominations and also non-denominations, I was in a unique place. It was kind of cutting edge for the time. But I had the pastor that I worked with. I was a youth minister in a church. I was in seminary and told me I had made a grave mistake because if I was ever to be a minister, I should now go to a seminary that represents a certain denomination and get in that lane because I would never be accepted in a church. Well, I think that has proven not to be the future as we talk about. But the reason why that was said was at one time what the denomination did is it provided kind of a corporate structure 
for pastors that helped them. They would have placement, so they knew they would have a church to go and minister at. It would provide resources for them. They would have health insurance, perhaps through the denomination. They would have a pension plan because of the denomination. And they would have some protections if there were problems in the denomination. And so there were some good things that the denomination provided. At the same time, there were also downsides of politics and certain views and certain kind of things mandated on people, which caused the demise of the denominations. But there was a factor of the denominations that did provide support for pastors. Well, and I do think, and a safety for the congregation, I mean, people coming to a Lutheran church, for example, they knew what they were getting, or a Baptist church or assemblies. But as you say, the demise began because the denomination started taking an anti-biblical view on sexuality, for example, or abortion, or some of the moral issues that really drove a lot of people away, and those denominations, as you say, it was to their demise. It's to their demise. And what I was really kind of going at, and because, yeah, we, we could talk a lot about kind of theological problems, and as a number of pastors have said to me, I didn't leave my denomination. My denomination left me because I was trying to stay biblical and, and be who I, I am, understanding the scriptures and the historic faith. But what I do see, though, because of this new world where I say it's more entrepreneurial for ministers, if Mm -hmm. I can borrow that business term, they lose some of the safety net, safeguards, and other things that supported ministers in the past, which leads to some of the things that you opened up with. Ministers don't necessarily have a retirement plan, but ministers will grow old. In fact, the average age of ministers is from 1992 to, as we have this discussion in 2019, according to Barna, the average age has gone 10 years. The pastors are now average age of 55 over 45, Mm. which says a lot of those pastors are 10 to 12 years possibly away from retirement age. And so that's a new kind of factor there. And so has that minister prepared for that? Ministers used to have children in the home when they were 45. Now ministers might be trying to get their children through college at this time. And we know the costs of college and the effects of college loans on children and the financial stress that puts upon a family. So there's new stresses and factors that are kind of in this whole thing. Pastors, without the supports they had before, what are they doing? And so if they don't have these life supports, not life support, but the the support (laughs) that might have helped them. Right. In certain areas, that puts pressure on all our areas of lives. And and that's where it comes back to, why were we called into ministry and what were we to do? And so sometimes people say, well, I was called to serve people, serve God. I wish it was as clean as that, but there's a lot of elements in that. And so that's that's where I was really going with that, Larry. Well, that's good thought. I often wonder about the megachurches because there's security and safety in, in numbers, let's face it, and that's been somewhat of the church growth movement underpinnings is to grow churches, not only just just for salvations, you know, get them into the kingdom, but there's also a checkbook element involved. The bigger you are, the more money you have, the more security, etc. But that also is a trap, isn't it? That the bigger you get, the less prophetic, if I can use that word, you're afraid to address issues that might affect the bottom line of the person sitting in the pew. Doesn't a pastor have to worry about that? Well, Larry, you're just going after it today. (laughs) I'm going to be careful to tread on what may or may not be the motivation of larger churches. What I would say is that I'm not anti-large church, and I don't hear that from you, so let me say that, because I do believe there's a place for churches of all sizes. I do think larger churches can bring sustainability. I think, unfortunately, we've seen spectacular 
unfortunately, spectacular in a very negative sense fall of large churches recently in the Chicago area. Correct. That has a huge, you know, debt attached to it. And we've also seen, unfortunately, fall of major leaders in these areas. But when we come back to the initial question, like what was going on there, that could happen at a large church or a small church because if they lose their core, what they've been called to do. And I think what you're really addressing there is what is the mission of the church and how is it that we're helping people fulfill that calling in ministry? And how do you put that together when you have to take the hard issues or the biblical issues? What are you really doing in ministry? And that impacts not just the people you minister to, but quite frankly, who you are as a minister. And then we call people into ministry who we don't actually know. We're not actually interested in knowing the man because we're hiring knowledge and experience and skill. And then we allow the pastor to live outside of or up above the body of Christ. Listen, every pastor is a sinner. Every pastor is a man in the middle of his own sanctification. Today, there are thousands of pastors who are living with a huge disconnect between their public ministry personas and the details of their private lives. In recent years, culture has become more influential than the church. Much of the influence is a direct attack on the Bible and the truth. City Sites podcast is designed to bring a different point of view, and we hope you will continue to listen as we make our case. Well, one of the things that I have learned, and I'm in my 60s, and I grew up in a church with the idea that I'm going to preach the gospel no matter what, and nothing's going to get in the way. I'm not going to be influenced by who you are sitting in the pew, the checkbook you hold. And yet the modern church, I do think, is influenced by that. Nickels and noses, they call it. And it has to affect the pastor and what he says. In fact, I was told as a pastor once when I was preaching on homosexuality, and I was actually preaching on the perversion of sexuality as a whole, adultery and homosexuality. You know, it it all comes back to sinfulness, right? But I had a lot of emails on Monday morning saying, I would have been embarrassed if my gay friend was in church. And I thought to myself, well, that does affect me, right? As a pastor, how I view the truth and how do I communicate it? And then I'm always thinking, was this going to affect so-and-so? Or what what are they going to think about this? I mean, isn't that a part of what a pastor pastor has to go through when he addresses his congregation? Absolutely. And I think what you describe there is just the tension of the modern issues. And I think you even described something, Larry, here, and I'm not going to call you out on it, but it feels a little generational because I've been influenced lately by some of the younger folks in ministry and having interactions with them. And the way that we look at the world, um, I'm closer to your age than their age. Notice I said that closer just because I I would slip that in there. (laughs) But sometimes when I think I'm speaking the truth, a younger person hears that offensively, and I don't understand the offense of it. And so I'm bothered that they're offended by it. But then I realize if I'm to be like Paul at Mars Hill, I also need to use language that engages them, not compromising the truth but speaking to the culture in which I'm in. And I think for pastors, that is incredible because we've never lived in such a polarized, at least in my belief. I agree. And I think we still want to call out those things that are wrong, but at the same time, I found most people have been brought into the kingdom by love 
and I mean not false love, true love, biblical love, engagement. And some of the stories of the most radical conversions I know of, somebody reached across the divide in some sort of risky way. And again, I'm not, you know, some people would say compromise, other things. I think that's what the Bible calls us to do is figure out how we're called to that. And I will say that I worked with homeless individuals, people who struggle with addictions, who because of their addictions did all sorts of bad behavior in sorts of different ways. I dealt with the mentally ill. I dealt with just lots of different situations. And I found myself having to do things to reach them. Not, I never gave drugs or alcohol, you know, anything like that. Mm -hmm. But the fact to recognize Mm -hmm. that would I do things a little differently because to reach the population I had to reach I had to minister in a way that they could understand, which would not be a way that I would have ministered if I would have been right. first church in downtown, wherever. Wherever, Good points. And I would agree with you that most people come, obviously, to the Lord through love and the acts of an affirmation of love. However, from my perspective, I see a lacking in the church to address truthful issues. You know, it's one thing to say God is love, but then there's another thing to say God is judgment as well on sin, on inappropriate behavior, on inappropriate behavior by people who are Christian leaders and should know better. Truth is very important because you walk in love in truth. And so truth is sometimes missing. Do you find that ministers in general will probably move more to love and less on truth? Or is that just a generalization that is in only in my mind? I, I, you know, Larry, I, since I don't know your mind and I don't know everybody's mind, I, I'm always cautious because I do come from a little bit of a therapeutic background from what I dealt with about attribution of motivation. And, you know, you walk into each situation and, and I'm always asking the Holy Spirit, help me know what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. We're not always in tune exactly with the Holy Spirit, but I'm always looking at how can I help people be more aware and there are sometimes there's just some things you have to say. You know, I ran large organizations and somebody would come in and I had one person, it was a very awkward time, it was a very bad time for them, but I had caught them doing something that they should not be doing. And they had, unfortunately, a very important event going on outside the organization, but they had gotten tipped off that I had become aware of this other behavior. So they called me in on the cusp of a very important event in their life to say, am I fired? And my first words were, enjoy your event. We will talk when you come in. But they persisted. And there comes a point where I am a truthful person, and I tend to try and couch it and metaphor it. You can't dance around it. I, After I told them a couple times, please enjoy the event. By the second time I said that, they realized they already knew the answer to the question. So I just had to say it. And when I said it, it was devastating to that person. They said, how could you do this to me at the edge of this event? And my point was, how could you have done what you did for the past several months and think I would not take action? And so there have been other times where I thought I had people red-handed on something. And then they sat in and explained what they did. Sometimes it changed the facts. Sometimes their facts helped me understand it, didn't change the ultimate outcome. Or at other times... I had totally misread a number of elements that I had linked it together. And so that's why I always, you know, I'm not trying to lecture you, but that's hard for pastors. And I think sometimes due to my kind of journeyman being around different places at different time, working with different populations, sure, I always want to think I'll never have enough information. I tend to land <laughs> up that end. And you do have to make decisions. You do. But I, I hear what you're saying is you don't want to compromise truth. 
But if anybody ever says to me, you said this and I was offended by whatever, then I'd say, help me understand what your offense is. Good, good point. Because maybe I could have said it differently. You know, sometimes you just got to say, you're fired. I was in a church, Pro-Life Sunday. Pastor was a younger pastor out of seminary and talked about the evils of abortion. And I am strongly pro-life. But even I winced a little bit about what he said. And at the end of the church, three women walked out. They had, of course, had abortions. Mm-hmm. In his zeal, he didn't explain the grace of God to forgive and that there can be restoration right. and there can be redemption. Mm-hmm. He did speak the truth. But, you know, in this world, people don't hear redemption with the truth. Well, you're kind of an informational guy. You like to get all the facts in front of you and then kind of sort through it and make decisions. But, you know, speaking about abortion, when I uh, was doing interviews in the past about it, 40% of those that sit in church are evangelical believers, women that is, have had abortions. That's a lot, 40%. And most of them did it in secret. So I do think it's hard to draw lines in the sand today. I really do. I mean, those that do it, they're categorized as Bible thumpers or whatever, but it is harder. This is the City Sites Podcast, a truthful look at culture and the church. For the sake of time, Chaz, let's talk about one other area that I think is very difficult for pastors today, and you must face this in your own life with all the responsibilities you have, and that is the mistress of ministry, that mistress that it's often called because it replaces everything else in your life with more importance. You're more important to get to that mistress in the morning or stay late with that mistress late at night. Respond to that. What is this mistress like, and how does it affect pastors? That, Larry, is a great question. We I kind of come back to how do we know in ministry that we've been successful? How do we know that we've accomplished something? I would say early on when I was in ministry, I began to realize my college jobs were at a factory, an ice machine factory. I knew at the end of the day how many ice machines, how many ducts I had put in ice machines at the end of the day. I knew what our production quota was. There was a measurability to what I did, a sense of accomplishment. In ministry, there is not clarity of where the goalposts are. If I can use football analogy, am I making a first down? Am I gaining yardage or am I losing yardage? Because it's not always that clear. Sometimes we talk to people and sow seeds that will take months and years to show any growth. And so there is a little bit of a danger and desire to put some sort of measurability in maybe the wrong measures. Sometimes you do have to have financial measures because you have to be a going concern. At the same time, if that becomes too dominant, your church will have a problem. I always use this illustration. When I went to work in my first church as a youth pastor, they didn't ask me about what version of the Bible I was going to use because translations were a big thing back then, you know. They didn't ask me what curriculum I was going to teach the kids with. The first thing they did was give me the youth checkbook and told me I better have it balanced each month. Well, in my three years of seminary training, I had courses on theology, historical theology, Old Testament, New Testament, Hebrew and not a single course on finance. And yet what I was going to be measured on was the finance of the youth group. Nobody talked to me about how many kids showed up at youth group, somebody didn't. And so what I talk about is this this differentiation of what is success. How do I know I'm doing well? And so do I get confused because if offerings go up, you know, I might be praised for that. And more people walking through the door. More people walk in the door, you know, numbers go up. 
And is that because of me or because they built a new development near our church where people are looking for a church? And so when we talk about this, so if you don't know what's being measured and you don't know where it's going from, you might continue to do more of the same. And if things start to tip off, if things start to decline in some way, offerings go down, number of people and pews go down, then what do we do? What have we been taught? I better work harder. I better get on that wheel and grind it up more, grind it up more, because we've never really looked at what's behind what's going on. And in so doing, I pursue what I'm not even sure I'm pursuing at the expense of my family, perhaps at the expense of my marriage, really frighteningly to me, at the expense of myself. Right. And I'm supposed to be the one healing the souls of others and helping others find meaning in life. Well, IMF exists in order to help and support ministers in ministry. And I know your website and gathering more information and more helpful resources for people in ministry to kind of think through some of these things that we've talked about today. And so uh, what is your website address? It's IMF serves together, imfserves.church, www.imfserves.church. And what we're really working towards, Larry, is putting together resources. I believe in the development of ministers, three things, because of my own kind of struggles in ministry. So we are all influenced by what we've gone through and what we've developed. And three areas is that we're working on professional development. You can be better. You can be a better speaker. You can handle group dynamics better. But a lot of those things one, weren't necessarily taught to you in the traditional seminary curriculum. And a lot of us have not had good models to see how things are handled. The only way that we've seen confrontations handled is how we had them in our family. If we're a family of yellers, then what you get in the confrontation, you just raise the volume. If you're in a family of quiet people, then you just avoid it after a little bit. And so I say that is those are professional tools. And I, I love a Christian consultant who once said he was a struggling pastor, and he would pray and pray, and he'd read his Bible all, and somebody tapped him on his shoulder and said to him at one time, you know all of your problems aren't spiritual. And so worked with him on mentoring him on skills to be better in the church. And so that's one level, the professional skills, because we can all be better speakers. We can all be better at whatever we do in the counseling arena, in the things that we're called on to do in churches. We can be better in the financial arena, which you're going to be called on a lot. I jokingly say my son talked to me that he wanted to go into ministry, so he said, Dad, what should be my major? And my response was, get a degree in finance and then get your theology because you'll be called more on that in the church. The second area that we want to work on for people in ministry is fellowship. Because as one of my seminary professors said really well, the law of the jungle prevails. If you get isolated, if you get separated from the herd, you get picked off. You've seen those African shows where that one strays from the herd and the lion comes out and takes it down. Well, I believe that happens a lot in ministry from my experience, that you get separated from a supportive community, that you're outside the pack, and you'll get hurt. And so we're going to create opportunities. And with technology, we don't even have to be in the same room anymore, but we can be in touch with each other. You don't have to be isolated. And so I say, so we help you with the professional. You can get better with the fellowship aspect because you're not alone. You don't have to do this alone. If you think you're alone and you're listening to this podcast, you're not, find our website. We want to talk to you. You're not alone in ministry. And the last area is that we want to be very personal because what it all comes down to at the end of the time is you do have a family. You do have a life. And, and I say two things. Ministers are stressed in those areas. Those personal areas will shipwreck them in ministry, will shipwreck you in ministry if you don't deal with them. My story was I looked around and I saw my friends and my colleagues make some poor decisions. And I thought to myself, 
those were good people. They wanted to serve the Lord. I looked at them and said, none of them woke up one day and said, oh, I'm just going to embezzle money. They didn't wake up and say, oh, I'm going to go out and have an affair on my spouse. And yet they did. And the question I had, if they could miss the road signs, how many of the road signs have I already missed? And so I sought out spiritual direction from an older Christian leader to help me be honest and self-aware of my own behavior. And I think that's greatly missing in the church today. And so I want to build in those things for those IMF members where we can help you, that you continue on your own personal spiritual formation. Because if you're not, you have nothing to give to others. Here's the truth for you, Larry. See if you can go with me on this one. I read the Bible for what I can teach from the Bible versus what I'm reading in the Bible to help me survive and growing myself. And that emptiness leads to all sorts of things that you start doing and you don't feel worthy of ministry, ministers that carry shame, and we want to break that from you. But part of that is slowing down and finding that. You don't want to be, at the end of your career, have your kids not love you, your spouse not love you, and be in a dark place because you tried to serve the Lord. Jazz Parker, it's been great. And you've just outlined the definition of hope in those three areas that you're trying to accomplish through IMF. If you're in ministry, first thing, let me remind you, God loves you and God called you. And whatever your perspective is right now, you are not alone. God is for you. He's working on your behalf. And the fact is, there are others of us that want to help you and stand beside you. And whatever even your family situation is right now, that can change. The Lord can move in that. You can't live in just the snapshot. There's a bigger picture, and I want you to know that there are those of us who are concerned and want you to prosper and develop. And whatever hole you've dug, you feel like, you know, our Lord is always redemptive. And I know the Lord is still at work in your life. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday, we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators, all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com. This is the City Sites Podcast Network. 